I messaged a manager who worked there, but there was an obstacle. He doesn't know me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't even trust me right now. Plus, I looked at his LinkedIn and he was so intimidating. He had like 99 recommend, like, you know, the skills endorsements on LinkedIn? He had like 99 for everything. And paid ads, social and every everything. Um, and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to impress this guy? Then I like researched into him. I was like, hmm, maybe there's a way I can enter a conversation, be smooth and make him like me. And I found out he did a, he had a podcast of his own. He had a book of his own. And I was like, hmm, maybe I can use this. So I skimmed a book. I listened to a bunch of podcasts. And I was like, this is it. This is it. So I messaged him on LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, man. Uh, hey, Mafuz is his name. Great. He's a mentor of mine now. Shout out to Mafuz. I love this guy. But I, t I, I messaged him. I was like, hey, Mafuz, I've been listening to your podcast and book. And I have to tell you, I relate a lot to it. So again, he'll know, he knows that I consumed it and took my time. And I was like, hey, can I ask you for just 15 minutes for a phone call? Just for some career advice. I want to get into this marketing. This is episode number three of Hustle with Harmeet. And you will be listening to my conversation with Alif Huck, the job hunting expert and a content marketing specialist. Welcome everyone to Hustle with Harmeet. My name is Harmeet Singh and I'm your host for this show. Every week I interview interesting personalities from across the globe. The insights and hacks shared by our guests will help you achieve a winner's mindset as well as inspire you to live a life full of passion and purpose. My special guest on the show today is Alif Huck. He's a job hunting expert and a content marketing specialist. After having worked alongside some of the best career coaches from the top business schools in Canada and with his experience working in the recruiting space, Alif has grown an exceptional skill set that's allowed him to land jobs fast without applying online using unconventional job hunt strategies. Most notably, Alif has landed his past two digital marketing roles at growth 500 recognized digital marketing agencies in less than two weeks without having any formal digital marketing experience, education, connections, or even applying online. Beyond his working life, Olive enjoys time spending practicing hip-hop dancing, creating content on social media, and even hosting his own podcast show. Olive's unique approach to looking at life, his energy, and his willingness to be open with his story makes him an exceptional speaker to listen to. In today's episode, Alif has shared his insights on the impact of social media on young students. Are millennials chasing perfection because of what they see on social media? How to land your dream job fast? How to come out of a bad job or a bad boss you are stuck with? Secrets of a good telephonic interview? Importance of informational interviews? How to make optimum utilization of LinkedIn to land a job? What is copywriting? How do you become the most valuable employee of your company? And learnings from waking up at 5 a.m. for an entire week. Before we begin, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And you may also connect with us on our Instagram page at the rate Hustle with Harmi for all the latest updates on our upcoming episodes. So let's jump into our episode number three. Hi, everyone. I'm super charged up to have Alif Huck in the house. Welcome to the show, Alif. Hello, everyone. What is going on? It's a pleasure to have, be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, Alif. Thank you. I first got connected to Alif a few months back while I was going through my LinkedIn feed. And there was this particular article by you which caught my attention. It read, three ways to sell yourself even if you don't have the relevant work experience. And that was the best article I've read in LinkedIn <laughs> for a very long time, Alif. Uh, I must Thank say, you. you have a you're a magician when it comes to crafting eye-catching taglines. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but before we jump into the conversation with you as to what you're currently doing, your line of work, your passion, I'm curious to know as to what kind of person you were during your school days. Particularly because I read somewhere that you had a goal of meeting five new people every day and you would literally bump into someone every few seconds to say hi. You want to talk about that? I love it. Your research is on point, brother. Thank. That's a really good point you bring up. Yeah, so in high school, okay, so believe it or not, uh, I was the shy, 
awkward. I hated conversation. You know, I remember there were days during lunchtime when I would walk home and my friend would be walking in front of me and they wouldn't know I'm walking behind them. And I was too scared to talk to them because I knew if I talked to them, I would have to talk to them for five, like 10 minutes until we got home. Uh, so in high school, specifically in Canadian system, like grade nine and 10, uh, I was more of the shy, awkward kind of you know, anti-social type of person. Uh, but to to what the point you're making, why I decided to force myself to speak to five people is that uh, it came to a point where I realized, like, I hate that I can't talk to people. And I, and I hate that, you know, when I see someone, I get intimidated. So uh, I would literally challenge myself. If I see someone and I don't really feel like talking to them, uh, I would literally just force myself and just force myself to go up to them, say hi, and then just hopefully nothing awkward or nothing weird weird happens. Uh, and eventually, because of literally that challenge, uh, slowly by slowly, my conversation skills and my social practices and knowing how to even, you know, hold a conversation, such a valuable life skill, uh, it started getting better and better. And eventually, I started getting less scared about meeting new people and, you know, bumping into people in the hallway and like small things like that, right? So it, I guess the reason I started that was because, again, uh, I was just sick of being scared and letting that take me over if that makes sense so you felt that there was some certain kind of conditioning that you were if it's okay to call you an introvert that point in time yeah i don't know i think uh i think deep down i was more like i would say an extrovert but i was on the outside i was more of the shy and scared to let that out type of thing and through that exercise through meeting five people a day forcing myself that shell in front of me started getting smaller and smaller and started breaking down eventually that extrovert inside me that wanted to come out was finally like they were ready to come out they're like yes let's go let's say hi to everyone let's say good morning to some random people in the hallway like let's go right so uh, that's kind of yeah so how your friends responded that point in time were they shocked were they amazed by the sudden change in you so it's weird because uh, grade 9 and 10, so you can imagine uh, I was doing this challenge. I was working on social skills and I was developing it. Uh, but then from there, I moved to another school. So what's cool about that is that because I moved to another school, no one knew me. And I realized I can start over. And now that I'm confident with my social skills, uh, I'm going to build a new identity. So I started saying hi to everyone and started like, you know, making friends with anyone and everyone. And uh, eventually, you know, I started like the whole school sort of knew me and I felt so much more confident. Confident and yeah, it was just a really good moment in, in life, you know, just challenging yourself to go outside the comfort zone, doing things you don't like. Uh, it really helped me to be the person that I am kind of today. So you really wanted to open up or was there something in your mind that you wanted to be famous in the school? What was the reality? I'll be very serious. Okay, so this is my vulnerable real side coming out, okay? Uh, I wanted to be the popular kid. I wanted to be the guy who everyone talks about. Uh, I wanted to be the guy who gets all the girls in school. You know, I, I remember I would I started breakdancing, not because of dancing, but because I knew girls like that. So I would take breakdancing classes and I would stay after school try to learn breakdancing so that when it came time for the school dance I can go in the circle I can, and I'm like one two three four you know breakdancing just to literally get girls and it's interesting because uh you know, eventually I started liking that breakdancing for breakdancing and not for the girls. And I started loving the craft and I started dancing even without anyone around me. And I started falling in love with that craft. And I realized I actually have a big passion that's dancing. Uh, but yeah, like to answer your question, I just wanted to be that popular guy who just everyone knew, right? I, I remember, uh, I would, this is, this sounds so insecure, but I would literally count the amount of hugs I would get in one day from girls and I would top myself. I remember yesterday, oh my God, I got 10 hugs. Yes, I'll go for 15 tomorrow. And if I didn't get that 15, I'd be like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> you can imagine high school, you know, your, your hormones, you're developing, you're going through this weird, weird phase. And that's, yeah. That's interesting. So, Alec, do you think there's a pressure on today's youth, the kids in school nowadays, to stand out from others, particularly to do social media? Because every day when we get up in the morning, the first thing we see is an Instagram post by a 15-year-old, 18-year-old, 20-year-old showcasing the amazing life he's living, the flashy cars, uh, the girls, and living the life of an entrepreneur. So do you feel there's a pressure on today's youth to particularly stand out from the other peers and did you ever feel pressurized 
hundred percent. Um, so I think different people get pressured for different things. You know, I have a lot of female friends. They would see Kylie Jenner stuff and, you know, they'd be insecure about how they look personally. Right. Uh, to speak on my personal experience, because I don't have that experience. Uh, for me, it was more, you know, the, the entrepreneur, the work hard every day, hustle till you die, burnout game and like work hard, work, work, work. And that thinking, seeing those Instagram motivational posts, seeing Gary Vaynerchuk and all them working and telling us to work hard every day and every day needs to be productive. Uh, that sort of got to me. And I realized, and I started thinking like the reality is that like you have to work. And if you don't work, you're wasting your life. What the heck is this? And eventually I would lead to myself, uh, feeling burnt out because I'm working too much. Or if I'm having a lazy day, I feel extremely guilty to the point. I'm just like, Oh, I'm, I'm so bad. I can't do this. Oh my gosh. Right. Um, but yes, in, in today, I do feel like social media, uh, can control you, but it's up to you to let it control you. You know, th there's a lot of thing out there. Like social media is bad. Social media is all this. It, it feels a bad part of human nature. I would actually disagree. Uh, I would say, you know, if when if we don't have social media, there's other ways the bad sites will come out, right? In high school, you know, it used to be like there's this website we'd all go to and we'd talk bad about each other and, you know, like that stuff would happen, right? But social media is just a new platform and we just utilize it and the badness of human nature sort of comes out and it just happens to be on a platform of social media. You know, before it might be like a tableau in a newspaper or like, you know, writings on a bathroom wall, but now it's more about like, you know, snapchat stories and instagram stories and you know dm group chats uh it's funny i was speaking with uh, a girl and she's much younger than i am so she's like super zen gen z and she told me like you know when i was in high school like this never happened but she told me there would be literally group chats for people uh you know talking bad about each other and they they would screenshot and share the screenshots and uh anyways long story short you know you can't let it control you and you got to take fate on your own hands. And I don't think social media is necessarily a bad person per se. Right. So talking about, as you rightly said, Alif, uh, what's happening nowadays, uh, how millennials are, a lot of them are connected 24-7 on social media, being influenced on multiple occasions by the lives of others, by the success of others, what's happening on the other side. So is it correct to say that millennials are chasing perfection? that perfect job, that perfect house, that perfect car. So what, what's your take on that? Yeah, and would for you, sure. Would you prefer chasing perfection or chasing excellence? Whoa, that is a deep question. Oh, uh, that's a really good. Okay, so uh, you know what? Like, I think you know, there's even myself. Like, I've seen pictures of friends, and it's always like the perfect vacation, perfect job, all the happy moments. And I, you know, I get into conversations in my head, like, man, I need to be like that. I need to have that car. I need to have a really good job. I remember there were points where like when I graduated high school, university and we we're all looking for jobs, my friends would post Facebook statuses saying, you know, I got into KPMG. I got into Deloitte as a consultant. And I remember like, I would look at them like, what am I doing? Why am I not doing good enough, right? Like, these people are so successful. They're so much smarter, right? But then again, like, we all have our own story. We all have our own destiny and everything, right? We It's like comparing apples to oranges, right? Maybe if I had that job that they had, I'd probably hate myself, right? But again, we're all in our own paths, right? But to answer that specific question, perfection or excellence, which one should we pursue, uh, you already know the answer, but I think excellence is sort of the way to go, right? Uh, I think approaching things from a perfection mindset is more of a scarcity approach where, you know, it's not good enough. Hence, I need to fix it until it feels good enough. And that mindset can get a little self-deprecating. Whereas excellence is more of an approach where it's like, I will be the best version of myself today. And I will do that continuously, continuously, regardless if it's perfect or not. And I think that's more of a healthier mindset and a way to approach it. Loved it. I really love that. The way you described it, Olive, the scarcity approach versus an abundance mindset. Exactly. I believe that's the kind of difference which really sets you apart from others. And one thing which really comes to my mind also is success is not defined by your neighbor's bank account. It is from where you started in your life and where you're going to end up. Yeah, it's almost like you have to compare to yourself to only yourself, right? Not others. Absolutely. So moving ahead, Olive, I want to know what is it that drives you every day? What is it that puts your soul on fire? And what's your passion in life? That's a really good question. You know, whenever generally people ask, especially me, like, what is your passion? What is your destiny? Where do you want to go? And if I'm being completely honest, um, 
I probably don't even know where I want to go. Like, I guess I'm good at this career coaching stuff. Yes, I've helped a number of people. But I think, you know, life is more of like continuous self-discovery and rather than end destination. So, yeah, I might not know where I'll be in 80 years from now. Who knows? I might become a real estate agent in New York for all I know. Or I might end up traveling the world and I'll be in Bali and then I'll find like fulfillment through becoming a monk or something. Who knows, right? Um, So like the idea of what is your passion? Like what's the goal and whatnot? Um, I take it more as like, this is what's true for me right now. This is what excites me right now. And I will follow this and wherever, whatever uncovers in the process, uh, I will be grateful for. But specifically what ignites that kind of motivation that, to keep going forward? Uh, I think, you know what, it, it's, it's a sense of, you know, I'm going to get a little personal and a little more vulnerable here. And I think that this is where it really, really, really comes from. Uh, so you know, there's been like family members in, in, in my family that, you know, uh, their self-esteem was kind of low and it led to like, you know, maybe some depression and like, like self-hatred and, and growing up, I, w- I would see that. I would see like the, the self-hate and then the self-harm and everything. And I just, I remember that I was like 14 and I, I saw that and I was just like, I don't want to be like that. Like I, I don't want to be like that. Screw that. Like, I'm sick of that. And I do not want to be like that. And I remember I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw this like, it's it's stereotypical, but I saw a motivational quote and it was like a guy in a suit and like, he, he's a boss and like, he, he, he had, I think a girl with him and he just looked like, like it's just a boss. And I was like, I want that. I will, I will freaking get that. And I will work for that. Uh, and you know, again, I was operating more of a scarcity mindset. So that's one of the downsides, but with that, I decided I will always try to be the best version of myself. And, you know, literally at like 17 years old, I was like, you know, from 17 all the way to 19, I would approach every aspect of my life. I would ask myself, what would the best Alif do right now? So if I was talking with a friend and they were crying, I would ask myself, what would the best Alif do right now? And they would give a hug. They would be empathetic, right? If I got an argument with my family, I would ask myself before I overreact, what would the best version of Alif do right now? And it's more that, you know, empathy and calm and just like understand their picture and just, you know, communicate, right? And that mantra just stuck in my head. And as I was growing, I, it started getting instilled. It became automatic. And I started realizing it's become it's a natural condition at this point, right? Constantly asking, what would the best version of myself do in this particular moment, right? And it, that just kind of carried over. And now it's just, I noticed like there's a lot of inertia. And now it's almost like instead of forcing it, it comes more naturally. And uh, it's, it's, it's self-taught stuff, right? But of course, there are times I slip. There's time like I just like get triggered or I get pissed, right? But it's, again, it's more about picking yourself back up and putting yourself in alignment to that. Right. So that's what I also call it the one-person mindset approach. Getting one person better every single day. Powerful. End of the day, I ask myself, what is it I did today that made me one person better compared to where I was placed yesterday? 100%. In health, 1% in your self-development, 1% in your business. So take a single step at a time, one, one, one step at a time, and you will end up reaching where you want to go. Yeah. And I'd love to add something to that. But uh, one thing I've really learned through like life journey and everything um, is that the biggest teacher you will ever have like in life at all, like no courses or anything is literally life itself like literally life like if i get an argument with my grandma that that's teaching me something if i feel bored at home that's teaching me something right like life is literally in the process of teaching you teaching you and instead of saying you know why is this happening to me it's better to ask what is this teaching me right absolutely so talking about as you said alif you don't plan what's going to happen eight years down the line five years down the line you're moving with the flow as to where the life is going to take you so what if i ask you right now does alif believe in goal setting what will you say so here's my thing i see goal long-term goal setting as less of a straight line and more of a compass so there's a lot of idea out there like you need to know what you want to do in 20 years you need to know what kind of career you want to go into or else you're a failure or you need to have kids by this age right And I realized a lot of that thinking just results in stress, anxiety, and it's not even that productive. And to me, what I found most effective for myself is that just have a general idea of where you want to go and just go and then pivot along the way. You know, you'll discover new things and just go that way and pivot and just pivot. You know, it's more of like a consistent pivot rather than sticking straight to one 
line, right? Uh, but in terms of goal setting, I, I 100% believe in that. Um, you know, I ha- I literally have a group of guys I go to every week and we have an accountability group and we talk to each other about what our next week's goal is, uh, what do we want to commit to? And if we feel like we're playing soft or we're cheating ourselves, I will literally call them out. Like, for example, I have a friend, I'm not going to say a name, but let's say they're Bob. I would literally be like, Bob, that's kind of BS, man. Like you're, you know, you can do better. What are you doing, man? And then he'd be like, Oh, you know what? You're right, man. Like, you know, I a hundred percent goal setting is key. Uh, when it comes to long, long term, like me in 30 years, I think vague goal settings generally is the way I go about it. Not specific. Um, but, you know, I have pictures in my head, like who the type of person I want to be. I have pictures in my head, like, you know, if, if I'm in conversation with, with my wife, then like what kind of relationship I'd want, right? General idea. Again, compass. Uh, and then pivot as you go. Right. I like that. I really like that. Looking at the long-term goal setting, not at the straight line, probably as a compass. If the seed is there, the plant will grow up. So this takes me to my next question, Alif. Your bio states that you are a job hunting expert. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so specifically in the like the North American context of how the job hunting pr- approach kind of works, uh, I've sort of, having been in the job hunting myself, having tried different approaches and strategies of how to get jobs, you know, here in Canada, I, I spoke with a lot of, you know, newcomers from India, and they tell me the hiring process is a little different here in Canada compared to New India. Uh, for example, 80% of the jobs here in Canada aren't even posted online, and they generally fill through knowing each other. Like If somebody knows someone, then they'll hire them, right? Uh, it's a word of mouth or referral networking type of environment and you know having been in this environment for a number of times trying out different strategies seeing what work and what doesn't uh, i realized like you know i've built an exceptional skill set where i'm effectively able to get jobs uh using these specific skills as i help a number of people get jobs through my coaching programs and things of that nature uh, i myself literally have landed jobs in digital marketing without even having gone to school for digital marketing or even previously worked in digital marketing right using again unconventional job on strategies that i sort of discovered along the way as a process of trial and error. You know what's interesting? When I first started off, a lot of people, my, my first mentor ever, I, I was, you can imagine this, uh, I was, I'm, I'm like 21 or something. I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I have a crazy idea. I'm going to become like a career coach and teach people how to get jobs because I learned so much from this school, business school. And then I was so excited. I reached out to one of my mentors who I worked alongside at the business school at the time. And he was a career coach. I was like, hey man, uh, let me grab a lunch for you. I have a really cool idea I want to tell you. I, I meet him. Uh, we sit down. We talk. And I told him about my idea. And I'm like, hey, what do you think? And I kid you not, the first thing he said is that you're too young for this. You probably shouldn't do this because why? who would, who would trust you? You're a 21-year-old. I'd rather trust like a 50-year-old with years of experience in the industry, right? And at that time, like it didn't hurt, but I took it for fact. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so maybe if I change my story, maybe if I go like, I've been in your stage and help students, right? But fast forward to now, like, you know, I'm 24 right now as this recording. And most of my webinars, most of my coaching programs, most of my clients I help with resumes and whatnot, they're generally much older than me. Like they're well into the 35s and 40 range, right? And, and they're coming for me. And it goes to show like, you know, you don't need necessarily agents, it's just a number and, and certifications. I've always thought of getting that, but I realized if I can get people results, why do I need a certification? And I don't know, I can add credibility, but I realized like yeah, results are everything. Like if you can get deliver results, that that's kind of, kind of what matters. So you talked about Arif, the digital marketing space and also about mentors. I will kind of come to that in a short while, but before that, I want to ask you this. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word resume? And is it the single most important document for any job seeker? So I'll be very honest. <laughs> when you said the word resume, so here's the thing. Um, I did a business where I wrote people's resume for them, right? But I, I, I'm going to be honest, and I stopped this business, that service for a reason. And it's because I actually don't like writing resumes, and I find them really tedious, and it's just meticulous. And uh, so <laughs> so when you, when you ask me, what do you think about when you, when I say the word resume, I think like tedious nights spent in a university writing t- resumes and like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know a lot of people who generally like writing, writing resumes in general, uh, but yeah, it, tedious comes to mind. <laughs> okay. And you feel that for a job seeker, that's the number one important document when it comes to job hunting? So here's the thing. Okay, let me give some context. But a lot of people, especially in the North American hiring system in context, 
Uh, a lot of people depend on job portals, applying to jobs online as a way to get jobs. And hence, they will spend hours and hours crafting that perfect resume so they can book that interview. But in reality, only about 20% of the jobs out there are posted online on these job portals. And again, like I mentioned, a lot of these jobs are filled through referrals and online and like meeting people and knowing people. So I would argue that the resume is number two in terms of priority. The first thing you need to develop is relationship building. And I think that is first key because the way I teach is that, you know, the only time you should apply on, well, not only time because it still works, right? But generally the best time, the most important time to apply online is after you get a verbal commitment from someone that says, hey, uh, you know, Harmi, thanks for this conversation. Send me your resume. I'll put you in as a referral, okay? Then you kind of, you know, spend time on your resume making it look good and then apply online because you have someone verbally and backing your application up, right? Compared to like the thousands of people that apply to that one job and these people are so much more qualified, right? So I think relationship building is so important. That's powerful, Alif. So do you really feel there's something called as dream job or the ideal job for a job seeker? So what's your perspective on that? And any tips for people who are stuck in a bad job, a bad boss? They can't come out of that. Your take on that? That's a really good, yeah. So let me ask you, answer your first question. Is there such thing as a dream job? Now, I've literally spent so much time thinking about this. I've had a number of jobs. I've worked in universities and I've worked in HR. I've worked in digital marketing. You know, there was jobs that I've, I was let go from and things of that nature, right? I remember washing dishes at two in the morning at a restaurant with pig oil all over me. And it was just disgusting, right? Um, but the way I see jobs is more is less of... You know, there's an old, old school saying, you know, if you stay with the company for 30 years, then they will take care of you and everything, right? But I, I actually think that's BS. I think now people might like not agree with me here, but I actually don't think companies care for you. First, they need to make money and stay profitable to even employ you. So first, they care about profit. And then, you know, they will say they'll care about you as a way to increase employee engagement, you know, and hence increase productivity and output, all that stuff, right? But I don't think there's necessarily a dream job. There the way I see jobs is more of a function. It is a role you do in, in an organization that requires specific skill sets and, and tasks that need to be done. And based on your personality and what type of work that you like personally, you are a better fit for some jobs compared to others. Again, it goes back to the idea of what's your passion, right? Like, what is your dream job? I actually don't think there's a dream job. You know, who knows? If, if there was a dream job, I'd probably become a teacher in Bali or something. Who knows? But yeah, to me, it's more that of a fit. Are you a fit for a job or not? Rather than a dream job. There's some jobs you're really, really good fit for. And maybe some jobs you're not really a good fit for. Uh, that's how I sort of see jobs and things of that nature, you know? Uh, the biggest thing I sort of learned from my journey working in like different industries, literally having a number of jobs is the fact that um, companies don't care about you. And in I, I say that in a healthy and really proactive way and not like a victim blaming kind of way. Like, oh, look, nobody cares about me. It's, 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 good, it's good to think that way because if you rely on a company to take care of you, you're not going to develop yourself. You're not going to learn new skill sets and you're going to stay in that job. And then when they go bankrupt or they can't afford to hire you, they're going to let you go. And you know, you're know you stuck there and who you're going to go to, right? Uh, the only person I believe that can take care of you is yourself. And the best way to take care of yourself is constantly developing your skill sets, trying new things and networking and building that relationship with other people. Uh, that way, you know, if a company lets you go, you can say, cool, well, thank you. I have this other opportunity waiting for me anyway. So bye. Absolutely. That's the cold way of seeing the world, if that makes sense. And I think that's 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 worked for me personally. But yeah, you asked me about a if you job you hate, right? How to come out of that? Mm, yeah. So I actually relate to that question so much. So some context for me: uh, I've worked in the HR space, specifically in a recruiting function, where every day I, imagine this: imagine going to an office, you stand on a table, you have a list of questions you're ready to ask for the ten thousandth time, a list of people to call. You call them, you ask the same questions, you type on the keyboard, submit, call, same questions, submit, and just repeat, 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 like all day. Or imagine just literally sitting on a computer manually reading resumes all day like just spend like it was tedious and uh i actually just really didn't feel like i was a good fit for that role now some some people will like that job it was just not for me per se uh so i was in that position where i was like i'm not a good fit it's not for me right and uh hence i sort of left that role uh the biggest advice i have for you in that sense is uh set a date of when you will quit 
so that there's pressure on you to quit. So for example, six months from now, mark that on your calendar. This will be your death date. Like this is D-Day. Like you will leave, right? And that pressures you to start networking, start applying to building new skill sets. So when it comes time for the six month, you are ready to just put that resignation letter in place. Uh, it's a funny story, you know, uh, that I remember the day I quit. It, it felt so good because uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> it just sounds bad, right? But you could imagine that, imagine this. I would always complain to my coworkers. They would also complain because they hit this job too. But uh, the motivation was there, right? I, I searched up a template, uh, a, a resignation letter template on my laptop. I had it there. I was like, hmm, I printed it. I brought it from the printer on my desk. So you can imagine the motivation to quit was there. The The letter itself was there. This is all I needed to do was ring my manager telling them I quit. And I'm just like, there's nothing stopping me right now. There's no fiction. There is like, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I took a deep breath, went into like a small break room where I was in privacy and uh, I called my manager. I'm like, hey, um, so I'm putting my two weeks in <laughs> and uh, he he was he wasn't shocked because he kind of knew that the team didn't really like the role, but they were sad because uh, the upper management didn't understand our team need, all that stuff. But I was just like, and I remember him asking, hey, can you stay for one more week extra beyond your two weeks? And I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm, I will leave in two weeks, but I'll give you the best version of me for the two weeks. But after that, I'm done. And he was pissed. And I was just like, eh, cold hard world. I, I don't know. It's just a funny story. I, I believe the only day you become a boss at your work is the day you quit. The last <laughs> two, if you're wrong, you feel like I'm the boss. I drive exactly. this world. I'm the most cool guy. I know how things work. I'm going to make it happen. You already know. So you recently made a switch from recruitment industry to the digital marketing space. Uh, you want to talk about that, how that happened, how you landed your job in the digital marketing industry? 100%. So that day I that I put my resignation letter in, uh, you know, I was kind of insecure because I didn't know, I didn't have anything lined up. And people would ask me, so what are you doing after this? What are you doing after this? What are you, what are you doing after this? And I would tell them, I'm going to break into digital marketing. And they would look at me like, okay, you're, you're working in HR, you have nothing lined up, like you never studied, you never studied marketing in school and like you never worked in marketing, but okay, you know what? Like I I, I, I used that to fuel me. I, there was like an inner resentment in me, like, oh yeah, well, I'll freaking show you. Like I didn't say it, but it was just building up in my head. But uh, what I did have was during my HR job that I didn't like, on the side, I started a side hustle, which was resume writing and career coaching. And through that, I learned digital marketing. I learned copywriting fundamentals. I learned email marketing fundamentals. And I slowly started realizing, you know, after five o'clock when I was done work, at least in Canada, we end at five, I was ready to go go home and learn digital marketing. I was so excited to do that work. And it was just fun. Um, and then I realized then digital marketing is where I wanted to go. But through practicing it, I built, developed a tangible skill set of digital marketing. And that's what's so unique about digital marketing. You can do it without a job and you can be good at it without a job. And, you know, the way I broke into my first digital marketing agency was basically, you know, I did my research, all the digital marketing agencies here in Toronto. And then from there, uh, I messaged a manager who worked there. But there was an obstacle. He doesn't know me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't even trust me right now. Plus, I looked at his LinkedIn and he was so intimidating. He had like 99, rec like, you know, the skills endorsements on LinkedIn? He had like 99 for everything. And paid ads, social and every everything. Um, and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to impress this guy? Then I like researched into him. I was like, hmm, maybe there's a way I can enter a conversation, be smooth and make him like me. And I found out he did a, he had a podcast of his own. He had a book of his own. And I was like, hmm, maybe I can use this. So I skimmed a book. I listened to a bunch of podcasts and I was like, this is it. This is it. So I messaged him on LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, man. Uh, hey, Mafuz is his name. Great. He's a mentor of mine now. A shout out to Mafuz. I love this guy. But I, t I, I messaged him. I was like, hey, Mafuz, I've been listening to your podcast and book. And I have to tell you, I relate a lot to it. So again, he'll know he knows that I consumed it and took my time. And I was like, hey, can I ask you for just 15 minutes for phone call? Just for some career advice. I want to get into digital marketing. 15 minute phone call, very small ass, very easy. And a phone call is a great way to build a rapport and relationship, right? So again, I didn't ask for a job. I didn't ask them to like look at my resume or anything of that. Um, because trust me, like when you ask people to like refer you to a job and give a resume right away, it's just too too fast, too quick and it'll come off bad. But uh, from there, I got a phone call with him. He gave me some advice. I executed his advice. And then I made a YouTube video where I basically... Be, again, because I'm a copywriting skills, and for the ones who are listening, a copywriting is I know how to write in a way that sells. Um, so I took his whole web website page and I rewrote it 
so that it can get more people to click and you know engage with the page. I made a YouTube video of that. I sent it to him. I'm like, hey man, uh, would you like more attendees for your workshop? Because again, that's what the webpage was promoting. And uh, I made sent the video to him and he was so impressed. He booked me for an interview. I got the job. And again, I didn't necessarily study that stuff, right? Like it's a tangible skill set. And I actually found out later on during a presentation he did that he was actually pissed off at me when I when he said when I sent the video. He was actually pissed uh, because you know who's this guy telling me how to write this better, right? Like who's this random kid? And then as you watch the video, he's like, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. And then uh, it kind of changed his mind. But that's how I sort of broke into it. I could connect to that because this is what you said earlier today, Alif, that the number one thing when it comes to job hunting is relationship building and then resume. 100%. So that's how you build your relations with that person. I like that. Very powerful. So this takes me to the other question. How do you make optimum utilization of LinkedIn to land the job you have always wanted. 100%. First, you need to make sure your LinkedIn profile is optimized and has all your skills and qualifications all ready to go. Honestly, a simple YouTube video can explain that. Uh, Number two thing you have to have on your LinkedIn is making sure uh, there are the relevant keywords on your LinkedIn profile. And let me tell you what I mean by that. And in the recruiting space, I literally had to do this, but how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates for jobs and like reach out to them to fill jobs with is they use a tool called LinkedIn Recruiter. And in LinkedIn Recruiter, uh, they would literally search like if their profile has these key terms that are related to this industry, you know, if you're in accounting, like ledgers and VLOOKUPs and stuff, if you're in marketing, it's like A-B testing, paid social and all that stuff, right? If their profile has this and they live in this area, show their profile to me. And, you know, they would hit enter and all the profiles that have those specific uh, keywords would appear on top. And based on that, they would skim down. And generally speaking, the ones on top uh, were the ones that got reached out to. So again, find the relevant keywords specifically related to the job you're trying to get into and make sure they're in your LinkedIn profile. The best way to find keywords is to literally open three job descriptions of the job that you're trying to get into. And you'll start to notice certain key technical terms that keep popping up for each of the job descriptions. And they're very technical terms that's only specific to your industry. Uh, And use those key terms in your LinkedIn profile. So yeah, so that's number two, Uh, make sure it is filled with keywords. Third, you know, LinkedIn is magical in the sense that you can reach out to people like it, it is a networking tool. Like it is a great way to build your network. Go like reach out to someone, ask for a phone call, meet them for coffee. Like, you know, if 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 you literally lost your job in Canada right now, you should literally be spending three hours a day sending out LinkedIn connection requests with a note saying, hey, uh, I love what you do in, and then enter something specific and then ask them for a 15-minute phone call. Ask them for a 15-minute phone call and just keep doing that and start building a relationship. And, you know, you can do this with other platforms, but I feel like LinkedIn has been really working well for me. But yeah, those three things. Amazing. So Alif, since you've taken thousands of telephonic interviews, so what's your secret of a good telephonic interview? Probably you want to share some do's and don'ts. Yes. Okay. So I want to share with you guys stuff that you will not find on YouTube on any like Forbes interview prep blog stuff. Like that stuff you can find on blog. I want to share with you like some other industry, like really the person who did it, like what I would say. First thing is first. And okay, this is one's very obvious. Don't talk too much. There is so many times I can't tell you, I have to literally find excuses to cut people off. Like that's the biggest obstacle because they aren't concise. And you know, of course, when you get nervous, like you talk a lot, just be mindful because I remember after telephone interviews, my team and I would get together and we're like, oh my God, this person talked too much and spent like, I spent 30 minutes on one question, right? Again, be concise, okay? So that's one thing. Second is uh, don't talk in hypotheticals, always talk in tangibles. Let me repeat that. Don't talk in hypotheticals, talk in tangibles. For example, if I ever ask someone a question, tell me what a time you had to deal with an irate customer. Do not say, you know, if a customer ever came up to me and they were mad, I would say sorry and blah, blah, blah. You notice what happened there? I said, if. If a customer would blah, 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 that's not what I'm looking for. What I'm actually looking for is a tangible example. So you need to always provide a real life example from your experience that showcases that you're actually good at the thing, right? In this case, you know, if I asked you, tell me about a time you had to deal with an irate customer. Oh, and you can say something like, you know, during my time at Starbucks, when I was working as a barista, a customer came up to me, blah, 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 blah. Again, don't talk in ta- uh, hypotheticals like if... Talking tangibles always include a real life example. Uh, third point I want to add is uh, 
always include results and keep in mind that results aren't always numbers. It's not about like, I increased efficiency by 20% or like, you know, I increased revenue by 30%. It can be as small as, you know, I was working with my colleague and they were a little stressed and I helped them out. In the end, my manager took notice and made me the team lead. That is a result. Or simply, my manager told me that I doing I was doing a great job and that alone is a result, right? So again, just keep in mind that it's always not always numbers. That's very insightful, Olive. Okay, so let me have your insights, your take on something called as informational interviews. Do you think they really work? Yeah, they're they're literally the secret weapon of job hunting. They are the most single important thing. Like I literally, I would never have got my last jobs without it. Uh, You know, informational interviews, you know, we tend to think of them as like, Suit, tie, coffee, Starbucks, exchange, formal con- corporate conversations. Uh, no, it doesn't have to be like that. Uh, for me, I I like to do phone calls that's just 20 minutes and be like, hey, how is it going? You know, I noticed like, you know, you worked at this company and then we get to like an informal dialogue and start building a relationship. You know, it doesn't always have to be meet up for coffee. It just needs to be a moment of relationship building. That's how I see informational interviews. And considering that the job market here in Canada is really dependent on that, informational interviews are key. Now, one thing I will mention is that when we use the term informational interview and like this, have this like saying with it, oh, it's so fancy. It pu- I've noticed it puts, especially students, it puts them in like this mindset of, okay, I gotta be professional. I gotta meet them for coffee. And I only ask things that relate to work, right? When in reality, a human connection is made when we have like fun conversations, ask me about my pets, ask me about like, you know, my collar and my shirt and why I chose pineapples on my shirt, whatever it is, right? Like it doesn't always need to be so scary and so formal. It can be informal, fun. It's like hanging out with a new friend really, right? That's how I kind of see it. But yeah, they're key. They're the the secret weapon of job. If you want to learn, land a job fast, book a bunch of information interviews because like, applying online, you know, you're going to get rejected a lot. Like you barely, you probably barely hear, barely hear back. You won't learn anything and you won't meet new people, but you know, informational interviews, you will learn new things. You will meet new people. You have new perspectives. For example, earlier today, I, I taught my dad the job hunt strategy of like reaching out to people on LinkedIn. He told me because of the strategy that you taught me, I was able to have a conversation with this person who was employing. And because of that, I learned that I need to study this book. I need to meet these people and all this stuff. And they even put me as a referral right? This would not have happened if I applied online. So Ali, since you've worked with multiple organizations in multiple roles, so what's your take and what's your belief towards how do you make yourself the most valuable employee of your company? Yeah, 100%. That's a really, really good question. First, um, so this is one one thing that I'm learning in the process and I need to do myself, but I've noticed that, you know, you need to make yourself unique in the sense of have a tangible skill set that no one else has. For example, I left HR because I felt like anyone can talk over the phone. You know, generally a lot of people can talk over the phone. Generally a lot of people can do paperwork, you know, type on the keyboard. And I realized, hey man, like anyone can take my job. What is this, right? So I decided to leave that and I went to digital marketing. You know, not anyone, if you told them, write a six part email sequence and figure out the strategy, they're not gonna be able to be like, okay, no problem, right? Uh, If, you know, write this landing page and make sure it's a high conversion based on copywriting principles. Not everyone can do that, right? So the best way to make yourself valuable for a company is to have a skill set that not a lot of people have and the company will generally need. So beyond that, you know, to make yourself valuable, relationship building within the organization, being good with the managers. And of course, what I've learned recently as well is taking on stretch projects within companies, you know, going above and beyond your role, uh, that generally will also impact how you grow within an organization, right? But if it was one thing, I would say develop a tangible skill set and probably a growth mindset, growth mindset. You know, in companies I've noticed, especially from an HR company, like there were people, like I, I'm always willing to learn. I was reading blogs when I was bored and just, just learning, 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 right? But then there were some people that just, it was just like, I do the minimum amount of work. I'll just chill at my desk and I will just kind of float around and uh, I let life happen to me instead of me happening to life. And uh, I noticed generally the people who are ambitious, learning, key to open to new opportunities, they're the ones who generally get ahead, right? So those are kind of my thoughts on that. Right. Uh, Just quickly adding to what you said, Dalif, this is what I've also believed in and I've lived my life like that. You should always outperform your paycheck. Oh, I got to write that down. (laughs) 
give as much as you can to your job don't just restrict yourself to 9 to 5 put in the extra half an hour in the morning or extra half an hour in the evening and give 10 15% extra to what you are asked for in your job description that's how you will how you have a chance of standing out from the crowd Mhm mhm I love that man and you know what one of the, I'm taking an online course right now and a number of online course but this guy his name is Billy Jean Marketing he's he's a wild he's a wild guy but you know having his course I learned a lot from him I learned a lot that I apply but this one word that he said I don't know why it just hit me in my head so hard uh he was like asking his audience hey guys what are you looking for in this course uh, tell me because what I want to do is I want to over deliver right now and I was like oh like the way he said that like the word over deliver it sort of got stuck in my head i'm like oh my god so in the past you know for me as personal experience i've led a virtual job hunting seminar literally a 5 hour webinar you can imagine people paid to get into that program uh, it sold out which was exciting but you know i was i kept the principle in mind over deliver how do i over deliver right and i remember there was a time in the webinar i always made sure the slides were good and you know if i how can i 10x these content that i'm about to deliver so it's like the word 10 times what they paid right um and that kind of got stuck in my head and the word over delivered for me right now based on where i'm at in my life that's what keeps coming up right over deliver how can i over deliver great that's really interesting i've heard you talk about on multiple occasions alif about copywriting so what is copywriting is it for everyone and do you recommend people should learn this skill set copy oh, copy is my favorite it's the best thing uh copywriting is basically writing in a way that gets someone to take an action so whether you're trying to collect an email address how do you sell that that whatever you're trying to sell in words so that people buy it you know people opt into the email sequence or whatever it is right do i think everyone needs to take copywriting i think 100% i think everyone needs to take a basic fundamental copywriting understanding because there is so many times where even outside of marketing when i'm writing an email to a friend and i need them to like open an email and i need them to do something is urgent i know how to write it so persuasively enough that they're like oh my god yes what's going on right like i know how to capture attention through the use of words and you know frame things in certain ways every day in life i feel like we're trying to sell ourselves we're selling a podcast we're trying to like there's just so much we're trying to sell in everyday life right and what copywriting teaches is not just the writing and how to write it but the mindset of how to frame things to sell and that mindset carries on with me everywhere i go when i have a conversation with a friend and they ask me why would i want to go to this place to camp instead of that camp i know exactly how to frame it uh whenever you know my mom tells me hey come to the grocery and i don't want to i know how to frame it in a way that pushes me right like that pushes me towards more side, my side but yeah i think i i actually think like i feel like if one thing school should teach it definitely should be basic fundamental copywriting 101 basic right so the next one alif uh, it's it's slightly off from your professional track but this is something i really really want to ask you you had a phase in your life where you woke up for 5 am for an entire week what was it like getting up for 5 am for 7 days at a stretch and what was that feeling and did you learn anything from that hun that's really good point man uh so when i was working full time um you know because covid right now we we're not working all that stuff but uh i noticed my best energy and most creative energy was in the morning and generally after work i get too tired to do anything so i decided you know i'm going to wake up early and use that time to do the most valuable work for me which is my personal stuff so then i can spend the rest of the day doing the stuff my work is telling me to do right so i decided hey you know what i'm going to just wake up at 5 and and do it um and you know it it was challenging like it wasn't the easiest thing but i was able to get through it but you know this this one most like so important thing such an important thing i learned from the experience and it's that you don't need to wake up at 5 a.m. to be successful in life like if you have a lack of sleep and that lack of you know how it feels like when you're tired all day and like you feel lack of sleep that hindered my creativity so much i got lazier because of that and literally because i didn't get enough rest my whole day fell off and you know it's not about how early you wake up it's ma- it, what matters more is what you do while you're awake you know you got to be rested for the day it's it's better to you know wake up later but refreshed than if you were to wake up early grumpy and your whole day is sort of ruined right that is the biggest kind of key takeaway that i sort of learned from that experience that's insightful alif so we all know it's covid-19 right now it's a big crisis millions of job losses across the globe a lot of people are out of their jobs 
So any tips, any advice for people as to how to deal with the current situation and how to make a roadmap for their future jobs? Your perspective on that. So I've been developing this theory right now that, um, you know, a, a lot of my friends, they've applied for jobs, they've had interviews, but then they would be told, oh, we're not hiring anymore. We're going through a hiring freeze, right? I've heard stories where companies are opening the applications, but they never get back to them, even though they don't tell everyone else that they're doing in the hiring freeze. Like it's, it's really difficult right now, generally to get a job. I've noticed I, that's not to say companies are not hiring. Cause I had friends who still got hired. Uh, and uh, but a lot of them generally were not getting hired. I think right now, the best thing you can do in this period, uh, you know, because I'm noticing science is getting better. But in this period right now, while we're kind of working from home, while everyone's kind of slower, this is the time to build tangible skill sets to make yourself the most valuable person in the company. At the same time, building your network. So, you know, developing yourself, developing your network, build it up, build it up, build it up so that once COVID-19 is over and then there's a burst of jobs, you are like set to go. You can reach out to someone to get a job. You have the right skills for the job. Uh, so that's how I'm thinking of, of it as patience is, is key at this frame. Right. So Alif, how do you look at the future of the recruitment industry? You feel with all that social media, all these insightful tools, all these helpful tools which we have at our disposal. Do you really feel the recruitment agencies are going to be there in the longer run? In general, what's your take on this entire industry of recruitment? 100%. So um, when I was working in HR, uh, we had one of our top sales guys uh, come into the office and he delivered some news that we just were like, oh no. Uh, And basically he said, hey guys, most of your jobs are going to be gone because of AI. And I'm like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, because AI will, you know, if you do a video interview, they'll scan your retina, they'll scan your face, and they'll have an idea of what you're saying, how you're saying it, how you're presenting yourself, because technology and most of your jobs are generally going to be cut out. Yeah, but um, what I'm saying is, uh, in terms of the future of the recruiting space and how that is going, I do believe that most of the roles out, like most of the recruiters, uh, is going to be replaced through AI, uh, machine learning, because you know they're getting so much better at that sort of stuff. Um, hence, I think that's where it's going to go towards. You know, there's going to be like uh, the human element, the psychology element that's going to still remain intact. A lot of the automation stuff is going to be again automated even more. Uh, But I think it's heading more towards an AI kind of approach. Right. So that's not not very uh, positive for the recruiter, for the future recruiters. But (laughs) the good news, the positive news is that uh, today you have dropped tons and tons of information for anyone looking for a job and particularly how to live a life in a good way. So this now takes me uh, to our last segment of the show today, Alif. This is what I call the one minute round. So we'll have one minute to answer these interesting questions and okay <laughs> here we go your favorite books oh f- four hour work week uh rich dad poor dad uh, i will teach you to be rich uh high performance habits 10x rule sell like crazy conversations with god that was a really interesting one so so, so what did you learn from the conversations with god who i learned so this is another, okay, so let me give some context. I went to this leadership retreat, okay? But it's not just like a any leadership retreat. We did some hippie, hippie stuff, like to the point where, like, yeah, like really hippie kind of almost cult-like stuff. Like, I, I don't want to get too graphic, but, you know, there were points where like clothes had to come off. There were points where we did a breathing exercise where we started hallucinating. Like it was it was another level. And I realized like, oh, I see life differently. Then I read the book. And then the book, I can't even explain it because I feel like it's such a, it's it's so weird, man. I feel like the book comes to you rather than you go to the book. And it's one of those books where you have to read it at the right time in your life. I'm not kidding you, but okay, I'm going to sound super hipster and weird at this point, but I found like almost a mean understanding. I understood life. Like, why they're suffering in this world? Why do we have to work a nine-to-five that we hate? What is the meaning of this all? Um, you know, why is there good in this world and why is it bad in this world? And the book felt like it had the right answers. Uh, there's some parts I don't really agree with, but uh, it was so weird. Like, it was just like, oh, this makes sense. This makes sense. All the general questions we have about life. Uh, but take it as you will. You know, it's not, it, it is more Christian kind of stuff orientated. But uh, again, take it as you will. But that's kind of what I learned. <laughs> Okay, so my second question, uh, your favorite quote. 
be you, do you. I mean, you're cool. You dropped a lot of quotes. I would say like, yo, you should always outperform your paycheck. Never leave a job as a liability. You're never too young to learn and never too young to teach. Also, you're, I like your quotes probably better than anything. So you, you still want to add to that? Like, why is it your favorite quote? I don't, yeah, be you, do you. Um, I think the core of what I want to, the legacy I want to leave behind is that I want to be my authentic self so people can be their authentic selves. I think that's just kind of my life legacy. Uh, you know, through this interview, I revealed a lot of information about myself that are probably more private. I said jokes, I laughed, and, you know, I can be here and be a stone-cold corporate guy with a nice tie and just only talk about surface-level stuff. But that's not where the connection is made. You know, your podcast listeners, you know, so maybe they heard my story and they're like, wow, that resonates with me. I like that guy, right? And again, I think that's the goal, like just being our raw, authentic self, not being afraid to show that so other people aren't afraid to show themselves either, right? So that's kind of why that quote kind of always stuck with me. But yeah. And your role models in life? So here's the thing. I feel like through different stages in my life, I will have different role models. Uh, the role models I had a year ago are not necessarily my most immediate role models right now. Uh, right now in my life, there are different role models, and I expect that to change later on as it goes. Uh, to speak a little bit about the current role models I sort of look up to right now, Billy Jean is marketing, like I'm taking his course, and he's a, like, I don't know, something about his jokes and his commitment to over-delivering. I would say right now, he is definitely my number one sort of role model. Great. Uh, so Ali, what's the best way for people to reach out to you, how they can connect with you? Yeah, for sure. So uh, feel free to message me on LinkedIn, uh, A-L-I-F space H-U-Q. I mean, I hope you think I'm a fun guy. I don't, I'm not scary or anything, but uh, feel free to reach out. Say, hey, say if you like, message me on LinkedIn saying how cool Harmeet is. That's it. That's it. <laughs> message me on LinkedIn with a connection request saying how cool Harmeet is and how cool his podcast is. <laughs> okay. That's very generous of you, Alif. So before we wrap up today's show, I learned a lot from you. So here's this question for you. Imagine a picture of younger Alif. I know you're very young right now, but just imagine <laughs> another uh, younger picture of Alif, the younger version of Alif. He is standing right now in front of you. He looks into your eyes and very sincerely he asks you this thing. What's the one piece of advice you're going to give to me for living a good life? Whoa, that is deep. I, I feel like I, I'm a visual person. So I, the more the more you kept speaking, the more I pictured a dark room, me, my younger self in a spotlight, and I'm just looking him in the, in the eyes. <laughs> it just got so visual. But I would, so here's a lesson. I'm, I'm 24 right now. So one of the things I'm learning is like, especially a lot of millennials, people my age, people in their early 20s or something or mid 20s, uh, this is idea that when I get older, it will be figured out. For example, uh, I will be stable once I'm older. I have a family and it'll be figured out. Adulting, quote unquote, it, uh, I'll figure out how to adult and everything, right? But one of the most wild recent things I've learned is that, you know, I have a friend, he's 40 something and he has kids and I was in his house and everything. And he told me, man, I still haven't figured out adulting. And I'm like, wait, you're 40 something and you haven't figured it out? Then I realized this stress I feel in my head, it just doesn't go away. So it is a consistent thing that will keep with you through the progress of life. You know what I mean? So I don't know how to put this in words in terms of telling my younger self this, but how would I even say that? Like, I would say it, it doesn't change. I guess it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, there's no end line. It is continuous process of I don't know, figuring things it's, out. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. It's not a 100-meter race. Exactly. You already said it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It's a marathon. It's not a, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alif. I really like every minute connecting with you today. You have dropped nuggets of information. I would say gold pieces in whatever you have said. <laughs> I love you. And I'm sure people who are going to listen to you, they're going to love you as well. So thank, thank you so thank much, you. Alif. Thank you. And keep doing, keep spreading the love and the warmth in the world. Thank you so much. Ali. Dude, thank you for having me. Hey, listen, like I learned a lot from you as well. So like, this is fun. I love this. Thank you for doing this. Uh, guys, Harmony is the best researcher ever. Just saying. Okay. He's the best researcher ever. He has really good questions. He's really good at this stuff. So gotta thank say that, you. you know? Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to our episode number three. If you're listening to us on iTunes, please don't forget to leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcast. If you're listening to us on Spotify, do click on the follow button. If there's any feedback, you may write to us on hermitspeaks at gmail dot com. Our Instagram handle is at the rate hustle with hermit. I will catch up with you all next week. And yes, remember, don't give up on your life and dreams. Keep working hard, keep moving ahead, and keep hustling. Because one day your success will make all the noise. This is your host, Harmeet Singh, signing off. Goodbye.